This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. A reminder that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests, not of the radio station. I'm Josh Wyman. And I am Anna Milani, and we are both local educators in the Brattleboro area. And today we're going to be talking about uh, homelessness and housing. And here in the United States on any given night, there are just over 500,000 people on the streets. And we're experiencing also in the U.S. historically high rents. Affordable housing is most commonly defined as paying up to 30% of your income on rent. And right now, about over 51% of people are paying 30% or more of their income on rent. And this is interesting, too. There's a thing called uh, the housing wage, which is how much one has to make Uh, to afford housing that is up to 30% of their income. In the U.S. right now for 2019, that was $22.96 you'd have to make per hour to afford a two-bedroom and $18.65 for a one-bedroom. That's the average in the U.S. So there's places that that's much higher. For instance, in Oakland, California, there's places where you'd have to make about $40 per hour to afford a one-bedroom, where a one-bedroom there averages $2,500. And you know, just to remember that the minimum wage in the U.S. is $7.25. Here in Vermont, I think it's just over 11 But in Vermont, I looked at the, there was a map that showed what the housing wage should be. And in Vermont, it was $22.78. And in Massachusetts, it's $33.81 for a two-bedroom. So those are just some things uh, to think about as we're talking today. And what we're going to be doing today is there was a homeless vigil put on by Groundworks this past week, Tuesday evening in Brattleboro. We're going to be playing voices from the vigil. It was put on to raise awareness about those living on the streets and to pay respects to those who passed away in this area in 2019. And we're also going to ha- uh, play an interview that Josh did with David Dunwell from Springfield No One Leaves, working in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, working on evictions and housing issues in Springfield. And we're going to start off with a song, and uh, it is Dead Ken- Kennedy's Kill the Poor, and we'll be right back. Let's get rested and so in the night. Oh, 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 oh,
We're talking today, um, we have some clips from the vigil held in Brattleboro here uh, for the homeless that passed away over this past year in 2019. We have a clip, a sound piece from that with Carly, the Groundworks Day Shelter Coordinator who oversees the drop-in center as well. And we also have um, two other voices, Jedediah and Darlene, who are both experiencing homelessness. My name is Carly Schrade and I work for Groundworks Collaborative. More specifically, oversee one of our vital programs, the Drop-In Center at 60 South Main Street. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that most of you here tonight know where and what the Drop-In Center is, but for those of you who don't, we are a daytime, we are a daytime homeless shelter, open six and a half days a week right here in Brattleboro. First and foremost, I want to thank you all for attending tonight and for raising awareness around homelessness not only in our community, but more broadly. Let the cold be a reminder of the adversity faced daily by our neighbors in need. Tonight we are surrounded by a broad range of community service providers, affiliates of the interfaith community, folks with lived experience, and the community at large. Tonight is a time to honor those experiencing homelessness, those who have previously experienced homelessness and those who are no longer with us on this physical plane. We will hopefully hear some personal testimonies from those with lived experience, as well as hold a moment of silence later on in the vigil. Often we feel bogged down by the size and scope of most present day social problems, whether it be poverty, addiction, or homelessness, to name a few. But tonight is an opportunity to come together to learn about the needs and concerns of, our, of those living on the streets and to unite in a tangible way towards making even the most subtle difference for our community's most vulnerable. None of the work that we do daily would be possible if it wasn't for the compassionate community we all live in, and for that, I am grateful. I wanted to start off tonight by reading a short poem titled, My Silence Speaks. Let my silence grow with noise as pregnant mothers grow with life. Let my silence permeate these walls as sunlight permeates a home. Let the silence from unwatered graves and craters left by bombs, let the silence rise from empty bellies and surge from broken hearts. The silence of the hidden and forgotten, the silence of the abused and tortured, the silence of the persecuted and imprisoned, the silence of the hanged and massacred. Loud as all the sounds can be, let my silence be loud, so that the hungry may eat my words and the poor may wear my words. Loud as all the sounds can be, let my silence be loud so I may resurrect the dead and give voice to the oppressed. My silence speaks. Thank you again for gathering here with us. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Excellent. I always ask that question because it helps me, my nerves settle a little bit. Um, Carly asked me to speak tonight and um, earlier today and I had no idea what to talk about. So for the first time, in a few years, I'm going into this blind, um, and since we're we're gathering around to um, hopefully create a little more awareness around homelessness, I figured I'd share a little story um, of mine. Um, so April 3rd, 2012, um, after years of struggling with addiction and, and substance use, um, I was with. Um, my fiance at the time and, and that, by that time we were broken up she just couldn't uh, put up with anymore 
of getting evicted and, and me um, pretty much just um, tearing our lives apart through my substance use or, or me experiencing substance use. So she was going to uh, live in her own apartment and I was getting evicted for the second time and I had nowhere to go. Um, I was living in Bennington and there was no shelter in Bennington at the time. And I had been in Brattleboro a couple years prior to that, so I knew that it was a loving community here. And on the, on the car ride over here, I was shaken because I, I had no idea what I, where I was going to live, uh, what I was going to be doing. And we get over here, and immediately we go to the Morningside shelter, and I thought it was an emergency shelter, and I would get a bed. And little did I know, there was um, it was full. Um, so I started trembling a little more, and uh, I was I was pretty scared because I didn't want to sleep outside that night. Um, so she was um, as as kind-hearted as she was, and you know she still is. Uh, she got me a hotel room for that night, and um, after that it was up to me. And the. the the next 10 months I spent living in front of uh, Sleepy's Mattress in that open corridor up there on Putney Road. And, uh, and it, was, it was pretty awful. I'm sure all of the service providers know that you can get a, an idea of what it's like for people, especially people at Drop-In Center and Groundworks and, and people who are on the front line. Um, and uh, and I, I learned a lot from from that experience, uh, but with the support from a loving community and people that cared, um, they were able to help me find the tools necessary to, to put the pieces of my life back together. Um, I remember going to the drop-in center daily to take a shower, and that was an ex such a, a, a huge help. Um, you know, being able to do my laundry there, uh, being able to get food there, um, really made that experience much, much better. And um, today, you know, as a, being working for HCRS caseworker, you know, I consider myself on the front line of helping people, um, you know, get housing and sustain housing and help them, you know, get their lives back together um, to a point where you know they're happy living it um, and you know I, I really feel like I bring my experiences to the work that I do um, and you know the, the main message I want to get across tonight is that I am so proud I you know I don't believe in, in, in pride like individually um, I, I just for some reason I can't be proud of myself um, but I am proud to be part of this community. I'm proud to be part of uh, people who care, uh, people who put so much into their jobs, um, people, service providers who go to funerals of people they helped um, just fills my heart, and I don't see that a lot. Um, and, you know, for the folks over at Groundworks, um, you know, I take my hat off to y'all because um, you all do a tremendous job, and I've never seen that that uh, drop-in center more of an accepting environment and loving environment. Um, and I can feel that when I go in there. Um, and you know, for people, you know, being here and being able to be part of people's lives like Darlene um, is really it gives me hope and meaning in my own life. And uh, you know, I, I hope that we can help elevate people who are experiencing um, homelessness and, and help them find their path and, and look at everybody like they have um, a chance to find that life that they want to live again. Um, and uh, I, I think that's, that's it for me. I don't want to take up too much time, but I just want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. Carly, thank you for allowing me to say a few words and um, I'll get the mic back to you. Thanks everybody. Hi everybody. My name is Darlene Derby. Um, I wanted to thank Carly and everybody for giving me the time to speak tonight. Um, 
I've been homeless off and on for 16 years. But the worst time was recently, um, I lost my husband um, three months after we got married. He died of cancer. And um, I couldn't afford my trailer by myself. The people we were buying it from passed away and the kids wanted it back. So they kicked me out and I moved back to Brattleboro with no place to go. I stayed on park benches and in doorways. I was all by myself and I was afraid. <coughs> Someone thankfully told me about the drop-in center. So I went there and I met Rayana and I love that woman so much. Um, I was living, they gave me a tent um, and I was living in my tent all alone behind Whetstone. At one point, the cops burned my tent to the ground with everything I owned in it, including my husband's ashes. This was a very traumatic experience for me. I was then told I could stay at the overflow shelter, so I did. I was panhandling for money to survive. I was also actively using as I had relapsed when my husband passed away. People gave me gloves, scarves, food, hot coffee, care packages, and cash. It helped me a lot, and I want to say thank you so much to the people that did help me. There was a turning point for me when I overdosed on one bag of heroin mixed with carfentanil. That scared me so bad. I had also lost my left, my left thumb due to shooting up drugs, so I reached out for help and recovery. At that point, I started staying at the regular shelter, and I want to thank everyone who stood by me and helped me, because now I've been sober for two years. I want to also thank my kids and my grandkids for being a part of my life and my recovery. I don't think I'd be sober without them in my life. I'm off probation three years early. I'm a certified recovery coach. I'm also a Wyndham and Windsor Housing Trust Board member and the first tenant in over in their over 30 year history to be voted in directly from the floor of their annual meeting. I'm the resident key holder and night watch woman of Great River Terrace where I have lived for over a year now and I love it there. I volunteer at Turning Point and our local food shelf as well as many other community groups and forums. I also work with Project Care and lastly, I run a recovery meeting at Great River Terrace every Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. And all are welcomed by my invite. So if you are interested in joining, let me know. Again, my name is Darlene Derby, and thank you for all co coming out tonight, for supporting this vigil, and for listening to some of my story. Thank you. That was uh, Darlene Derby you were just listening to. And if you're just joining us, this is Indigo Radio. And it's Anna and Josh with you today. We're talking about homelessness in the U.S. and housing. And uh, we want to thank Darlene and Jedediah for sharing their stories and for letting us play those on the radio for you all. And the beginning you heard was Carly from Groundworks Shelter. So we are going to go uh, to a song and we'll be back. We're going to play another voice from the vigil. Um, and we'll be back after this break. This is Patty Smith, Gimme Shelter.
welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, 107.7 Brattleboro Community Radio. And this is Indigo Radio every week, every Sunday. Uh, we're talking about homelessness and housing, and we're playing voices from a vigil that happened on Tuesday. We're going to go back, and what you're going to hear now is uh, Kim, who shared her story. And after that, we're going to go straight into the reading of four names of people that uh, passed away. So that's what you will uh, hear after Kim. So forgive me, I am not usually speaking in front of individuals. This is not my thing. Um, I just normally stay to myself um, because I've done well by myself. Um, Not all the time. One thing I do when I introduce myself to people like you is I learn not to hide my problems. So first and foremost, I'd like to say my name is Cam. I'm an alcoholic and I'm a six month survivor of homelessness right now. I'm just fresh out of all of this. This is new to me. Um, I found a family. I found um, serenity by coming over here from Keene, which is where all of my problems are. Darlene, I admire your story. It almost had me in tears. Congratulations. Um, I have a one and a half year old that's my miracle. I wasn't supposed to have children. They told me I couldn't um, because of all the stuff that I had done to myself. When I first came over here, again, I was told about the drop-in center. I went over there and asked what I could do. Um, I got all the paperwork today. I'm in the process of switching my stuff over. But I want to say that the amount of homelessness that's throughout the entire world is heartbreaking. To me because in the last year alone I've lost three people that I was close to um, you know I don't know much about math or statistics but you know out of a hundred people that I know unfortunately 70% of those help came too late and you know, some people choose to be that way, and that's, you know, that's okay, because that's what they're used to. But there's the 30% that just have nobody and don't see a way out, and that's what happened to my friends. I learned to pay it forward, so when I get things for free, and I see someone that's struggling, even if it's a cigarette, a cigarette can go a long way for somebody. I wouldn't, you know, suggest that for everybody. I wouldn't wish that addiction on anybody, but you know, when people are going through hell, you know, you know, just the simple kindness of saying hello, knowing that they're noticed goes a long way. I'm going to be 26 years old. I, I've been through this four different times. The longest stint of sobriety I had was a year and a half. I still struggle it. I, I'm about two weeks over myself after my last one. But I don't count the time. I just count what's in front of me. And as long as I'm doing the next right thing, which if that means putting my hand out to somebody else and taking them along with my journey, and I can lay my head down at night knowing I didn't say any I didn't say anything I'm gonna regret and I didn't do anything that I'm gonna regret the next day. Then I completed the 24 hours of sobriety. I completed 24 hours of not being on the street. I can then, if I don't have my recovery and I don't have my stable housing, then I don't have a job. I don't have my daughter. I don't have materialistic things that aren't just given to people. You know, I've learned that things aren't handed to you in life. You have to earn them. Um, But please, 
please don't stop helping because there's too many people out here that still don't have the help, that still need help. Put your hand out. Let them know you're there because that's what that's what kept hope for me. Is people kept saying hello. People kept saying it'll be okay. You know, there's a silver lining in everything, and you could could be that for somebody. Thanks. Okay, that was uh, Kim that you were just listening to, who shared her story on Tuesday night, and we also want to thank her for letting us play that on the airwaves. And right now we're going to go into the reading of names of people who passed in Brattleboro. Scott McElroy, Aaliyah Jacobs, Norma Boyd, Sierra Nightingale. It was all gone Same coke chains As the streets I grew on Down a mesquite canyon We come walking along the reach Me and the brothers Campsites I was walking when there's a road to town I there's too much brush and canyon For the CHP choppers to touch down Ain't looking for nothing Just wanna live Me and the brothers Under the bridge Come to Santa Ana's Man the dry brush of light Billy Devon got run up in his own campfire when I night. We buried his body in the white stone high along the ridge. Me and the brothers under the bridge. At another time In the street line Over nothing you end up on Wrong in someone's mind Now I don't want no trouble And I ain't got none to give Me and the brothers under the bridge I come on in, 72 You were just a beautiful light In your mom's dark eyes of blue I stood down on the tarmac I was just a kid Me and the brothers Under the bridge Welcome back to 107.7 Brattleboro's community radio station. This is Indigo Radio. That was Bruce Springsteen with Brothers Under the Bridge, the only boss I like to listen to. We're back. We, uh, you just heard some voices uh, before the song break of um, 
people, members of the community here in Brattleboro at the homeless vigil on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, we're going to switch gears now, and we have an interview that um, I did with David Dunwell of the Springfield No One Leaves organization, which is a grassroots community member-led uh, group that works to organize residents uh, impacted by the housing crisis of 2008 and also um, those that face econ- economic inequality. So why don't we jump right into that, and here's David Dunwell and myself, Josh Wyman, uh, in an interview. Springfield, no one leaves, and sort of talk to um, how the recession um, led to this organization coming about. Okay, so of course we have the 2008 uh, housing bubble, and from that housing bubble, there were a lot of people coming into the law offices, Heisler, uh, Heisler, and McCormick. Heisler, sorry, I'm I'm, I'm pulling some of, but nonetheless. They were having a lot of tenants coming into um, this, this law firm. They came to realize that um, these tenants were in homes that were foreclosed in. And so they really didn't quite know what to do with these tenants because these were bank-owned properties and they were having a lot of problems. So I guess they hired an organizer at the time named Malcolm Chu to organize the tenants in those buildings that were being uh, foreclosed on. and. From that point, they realized that there was a bigger problem, that homeowners were now part of those tenants. So homeowners that had formerly uh, owned the house, when they became foreclosed, they became tenants of the banks. So that's where the Bank Tenants Association was established uh, with no one leaves. So I was one of the earlier members, and basically uh, we started a leadership committee within the homeowners and tenants that were there, and we started to build out campaigns, and one of the first campaigns that we had was that campaign I mentioned yesterday, was turn on the lights, because we come to realize um, not only were we, was Springfield being hit pretty hard by the foreclosure crisis, but those communities were, uh, in addition, being depressed due to the fact that a lot of these uh, houses that were being foreclosed were boarded up. Uh, and, and they were not being taken care of by the new owner, which happens to be the banks. The banks were just bored, taking these homes from their homeowners, evicting the tenants, and then uh, boarding up these houses and leaving them to, you know, become havens for, like, drug dealers and just, you know, making the community look really, really shabby. Yeah. So, in addition, we thought, well, we also had an issue, we worked really closely with our, with our sister organization, Arise for Social Justice, and uh, come to the understanding that there were a lot of problems happening in and around homelessness. And we, uh, when we did this, we did our first uh, canvassing of uh, the South End and mainly uh, the, the areas of Springfield that were being impacted most by foreclosure. We came to realize that these houses, we had enough houses really to to put a major debt in the homeless population. So our campaign, Turn On The Lights, went from something where we were just looking to make the community look better to us uh, liberating some of these homes. So these homes were, we would just basically take the boards off of them and clean them up, paint them up, make them look presentable, and move families in. You know, that, that was one of our first campaigns, and I'm proud to say that, like, it really came out of the work of the leadership committee who saw a problem and, and, and looked to, to, to address it. So many of us who were in the fight at the time, we went on to win our homes back. I fought for six and a half years. Several of the other leaders, all of the leaders actually won their homes back eventually. But the fight took six and a half, four and a half, three and a half years. And in that time, we saw the rights of homeowners. And on one level, we, we had rights increase. But um, unfortunately, with our current president, he erased a lot of the gains that we made. So it looks like we're heading back in the direction that we were cre- what created the, the problem in the first place. And, uh, and, and the homeless population may grow due to the fact that the cost of living in Springfield, Boston, and these metro areas is just getting, like, as a dramatic increase where folks are not able to afford housing anymore. Yeah, that's interesting because I was looking, David, at the um, the stats for, or sort of the numbers that I could find about current 
foreclosures and, and, and sort of the numbers on where the city's at, because I know that in 2010, around there, there was a report done about um, the percentage of homeowners in Springfield and, um, and, and those numbers, and that was mostly around an impact report for the MGM um, casinos. Do you have any updated numbers about what sort of housing looks like for people in Springfield now? I could actually get back to you with that because, you know, my coworker, she's big on the statistics. One of the ways they tried to curb those numbers is with this program where they, um, the receivership program. And we work closely with Mount Holyoke College to kind of um, extrapolate some information from the receivership program and came to find out this receivership program that was supposed to help all homeowners in a short term, short term, do the repairs that were necessary to get their homes back, we found that the majority of those homes went back to the receivers themselves. So it was another way for people, for these investors to, to get homes. And so, uh, yeah, we were really disappointed by that. So we started to address some of these issues with, uh, um, with uh, code enforcement. Because what was basically what was happening was, was code, code enforcement was coming down on these homeowners that had limited funds to start with uh, to repair their house and eventually um, would, would have code violations that they ultimately would lose their house. Now, having said that, the same code enforcement were not even touching these buildings where tenants live in like with substantial problems, some of which like where elderly handicapped folks did not even have elevators and water sprinklers or none of this. So it was really hypocritical and, uh, you know, um, so that's an issue that we're actually still dealing with, you know? Indigo Radio. That was Quick Song Break by a band called Death, and the song was called Politicians in My Eyes. The, just before the song break, we were listening to an interview I did with David Dunwell of the uh, Springfield No One Leaves group, and now we're going to get back into the second half of that interview. The work that um, 
Springfield Nolan Weems does, um, you know, in terms of turn on the lights and also the the legal services and stuff that you provide. What what else are are there available for families and and homeowners available for services um, in the case that you know if they are evicted from their house and they're not able to get back into it? What sorts of supports are there for them? Well, you know, we consider ourselves a movement, so there's so many things we try to you know we we try to leave no stones unturned. So you know, of course, if we're talking about families, uh, there's there's several things that we try to do pre foreclosure, but in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is a non-judicial state, which that means that in the case of foreclosure, they're separate from the eviction. So a lot of the issues that we bring up, that we deal with, we can't really bring up during the foreclosure process, we deal with during the eviction process. So you may know that we use the tactics called sword and shield, and the shield is like our legal counsel, and a lot of stuff we push legislation slow down the process, and really uh, make it difficult for the banks to, to evict these homeowners. And uh, we're starting to win, uh, I think we're starting to win uh, the respect of the courts to realize that, you know, um, not only are we, um, uh, you know, dealing with people, like, you know, we were, uh, early on, they, they, they really wanted to embarrass us as homeowners and make us look like the, the problem, but now we're getting so many veterans and elderly and people that have issues no way being um, risking losing their home, right? They're coming yeah. back from war. One, one particular recent gentleman, uh, gentleman recently, he lost his two wives. One was at, you know, was, was, they both uh, were out, um, I guess they were in Iraq at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he fell into depression. Uh, so many things happened to this young man, and he was losing his home. So we, the tactics that we use is first and foremost, uh, to bring, we, we have people make a public letter, a public tweet to government officials, to the bank, to the, to the media, um, and we're finding that, well, prior to his case, when we when we were doing that, the media weren't even responding. When we have our vigils, the media wasn't coming out, um, and for some reason they decided to come out in his case, and we did we, almost immediately because the media showed up and the bank at that time was. was um, Veteran Affairs or something like that, uh, it was a very bank, uh, they immediately stopped the foreclosure. They immediately, because the media got involved. Wow. Now, that, that you know, shows the power of the media, right? Yep. So, um, you know, for so long they've been telling, you know, they've been telling the story that things are getting better, not unlike in our, our economy right now. We're just saying our economy is so great, right? So, it's really hard. It, was, it made a difficult situation that situation that more difficult because when, they, when when media starts paying attention, people stop paying attention, stop paying attention, and and, and, and it looks like you know we're we're, we're uh, our issues are all you know pretty much limited or, or addressed. So we've tried to find creative ways just to get funding at this point, but um, you know we we. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get back to your original question. No, that's all right. You, you're hitting it. Uh, I, I know I'm going about it in a roundabout way, but basically we try to build, um, we have we have academy, uh, a member leadership academy, right? Mm-hmm. Because we came to realize we were one of the few organizations in the area that we taught our members to become leaders. And in those worlds that were most impacted were the decision makers. So... Member Leadership Academy, we realized that we had to kick this up a notch where we had to analyze capitalism and so forth. So we started off by just basically building our leadership committee. And then we, we, you know, when we needed people to really be able to, you know, uh, represent us in the media and so forth, we, we knew we needed to go a little bit deeper. So we established that this Member Leadership Academy. And with that, we actually reached out to other organizations like the Rise of Social Justice and, and others where we, we, you know, we told them, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a coalition where more organizations take the, take the position that we need to be led by those most impacted. Like, you know, we can't just have people coming in from Northampton and others just leaving uh, communities of black and brown folks and, 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 and more or less taking a service approach. Like, we're going to fix your problems and then we're going to go away. Right. We wanted something that was a little bit more sustainable, and we felt that the people that were most impacted needed to be a part of the solution. 
So, hence, I've been around. I got my house back maybe three years ago. I'm not going anywhere. I became staff. Rose took Malcolm's position. Um, so we are now completely memberless. Rose was also impacted. She fought four and a half years. Um, our, our secretary has fought two and a half years. Our board is led by, we have no one on the board that is not a member that hasn't lost their house or has faced foreclosure and eviction. So we're, you know, we're feeling, we feel like that now we, we're, we're touching more than just our, our members because people are, are taking on like Candy uh, Pink. She's now started her own organization where she's she's addressing things with the youth, and you know other people are going to their churches and they're using the same tactics that Springfield and Noah Lee uses. So now we're expanding exponentially because not only are our members like helping out with Springfield and Noah Lee, but they're going back to their their communities at large and, 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 and teaching these things. So, I mean, that's really been our approach. It, it, it's kind of, you know, like like a wraparound approach. Like mm-hmm. it's really, uh, we work closely, like I said, with the Rise for, for Social Justice, and I know uh, we're on the board for, uh, when it comes to uh, looking at ways that we can attain property from the city and, and really liberate property in other ways. It's a, it's, it's a collective, right? And, mm-hmm. and, I, and unfortunately, I'm a, being a teacher and busy all day. Rose is generally the one that goes to these meetings and talks to these, these the, the folks that are in our collective. Mm-hmm. And she might have more specific detail where she could share with you. Okay. Um, I could tell the ideals and, 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 and I'm, I'm more or less responsible for like getting people like in the community, making them, uh, bringing them together. Yeah. But Rose has more a grasp on all the and how they intertwine with one another. So. Okay. I had one last question if you got time. No, um, I'm trying to play Okay. So I was, um, you spoke on it a little bit right at the start about um, the, sort of the policies by the, the current presidential administration. Um, what is the city and, and maybe even the state too right now um, currently doing or what are they not doing if they're lacking right. um, in, in helping to keep families in their homes? and also bring families back into their homes. Well, we still have a problem with Manzano not implementing. We were one of the first cities in the whole country. I mean, I remember back uh, several years ago where we had people coming in from Minneapolis, and Chicago, and Houston, and all over the country coming to see what it is that Springfield, no one leaves has. You know, why are we, why are, are, will we be able to pass this, uh, this ordinance was basically told, kept, kept the banks accountable. Like, they had to do they had to pay into a fund where this house would be uh, upkept. They had to do several things in order prior to proposing. And I guess they turned around to the city. And Mayor Sala at that point decided not to implement it. And it's been held up now for a while in, in, in legislation and, and it still hasn't been implemented. And this is something from 2011, I want to say. So we're talking about eight years it's been held up. It hasn't been implemented. So, and, and that's the result and of the banks? The current climate where they're deregulating everything and they've done away with Dodd-Frank just makes it that much more difficult to pass this type of stuff, you know, these type of uh, ordinances. So they're definitely not helping. And, uh, you know, I'm really confused by Mayor Sidon. He spends more time on Fox News than he does anywhere else. And, and, and I'm wondering if he's even in touch with his constituents. And he's been reelected so many times. And, you know, we have this FGM, which, you know, on, on the surface seems like such a, a great thing, but it's impacting our community in such a negative way. that you know, he's writing the rest of his laws on that. And he can go and be this, you know, pro-business uh, mayor and get away with it, you know? Mm. So we really need to do a lot of work Right now, 
hoping that you know other organizations will join us in this fight. David, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. I think it's time for us to start, like you know, really addressing these bigger issues and and, and, and calling you know the powers that be to the table because uh, we see them and it's not changing. It, it, they're not changing. The, the pattern is, is this, if anything, getting worse. Mm-hmm. You know, these investors are coming in and buying up and you know buying a property and buying a cheap and, and, and flipping it or was keeping it and developing and turning into Airbnbs or condos or whatever you have it and it's just not safe. And it's causing a problem like where folks from Boston are coming to Springfield. Folks from Springfield are moving Chicksby. But I mean it's a triple thing. It's really, you know, uh, it's really impacting uh, people on a large scale that can no longer afford to live in these cities, you know. Yeah. So and hopefully we can stay working together and, and as I told Rose um, you know, I'm not looking to do uh, uh, um, things just to like be seen of, of, of men or whatever, but mm-hmm. it may come to the point where we have to have uh, the education piece um, because, you know, that's the only way we're going to stop the tide. Mm-hmm. To educate the masses of um, what's actually going on because um, corporate America is doing such a great job of stooping them and really making them that things are getting better when it's actually getting worse. And I'm just really, really dismayed by that, you know? All right. Welcome back to 107.7 Indigo Radio on Brattleboro's community radio station. So that was an interview I did with David Dunwell of the Springfield No One Leaves group. And some really great stuff from David. I really appreciate him coming on um, and speaking about the work that they're doing down in Springfield, Mass, and its connections not only to the greater Springfield area, but also to the state of Mass and also its connections here to Southern Vermont. Yeah, and there was just something I wanted to bring in, and uh, there's a a writer, uh, Kianga Yamata-Taylor, and she is a Princeton um, professor of African-American studies. She just wrote a book called Race for Profit, How Banks in the Real Estate Industry Undermine Black Home Ownership. And I just read an interview by her, and I think something she said was really important in that uh, she said, there is no housing crisis. This is housing under capitalism. And I think that's really important because I think we do sort of the, the rhetoric is that it is a housing crisis, but it is, this situation isn't, isn't anything new. It's been going on for decades. And the current situation of it is some of those stats that I read at the beginning around uh, what is an affordable housing wage and what is affordable housing. And David talked about that in Springfield and the struggles and the things that they're doing back around that and trying to get community ownership. Uh, and then, of course, we had the vigil here talking about homelessness and looking at how all these are tied together. And that when you think about housing and, and how Kianga said there is no um, housing crisis, this is housing under capitalism, that housing, how I see it, is just another medium that capitalism gobbles up so that they can make a profit off of. So whether it's like media or food or healthcare, housing is just another one of those. And so when capitalism is based on accumulating profits and needing to reinvest, and you think about housing, then the developers and landlords and insurance companies, all that kind of stuff that is wrapped into that, their main goal is a profit motive, not about actually housing people. And so I think when we think about uh, the housing question, it's got to be a question about the economy and how it's structured. Also, this is a quote from Kienga that I like that she said, as long as there is a price on shelter, it will be inaccessible to millions of people. And so I think um, that's an important thing to think about as we go out. Uh, We want to thank David from Springfield No One Leaves and all the work that they're doing and hope to still connect with them. And we also want to thank Groundworks and uh, all the voices that you heard today. Uh, Real quick, next Saturday, uh, Brattleboro Solidarity and Spark Teacher Education, we're going to be putting on a film, Citizen Four, which is the Edward Snowden documentary. It's at 5 o'clock at Epsilon Spires, which is on Main Street, and it's a suggested donation, 5 to $10, but no one will be turned away. Josh, do you want to say any last thing as we go out? Yeah, uh, happening right now, actually, starting up in Springfield, Vermont, if you're in the area, there's a uh, Martin Luther King Jr. speak out happening 
um, I believe it's at the high school, um, and that's starting now and going till about four. Um, there'll be readings, some art activities, and then also some food served later in the uh, event. So if you're in that area, please check it out. Yeah, great. Actually, that reminds me, too. In Brattleboro today, the movie 13th is playing down at the Latches, and there's a panel after that movie is around incarceration in the United States. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we are going to go out with Diana Ross. It's my house. And we will be here next week. See you later. Bye, Show